Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, I'm doing good. Uh, what long time no talk to? It it has been indeed. How was your Thanksgiving? Uh, it was okay. Um, we uh, we went out for a Thanksgiving meal. I mean, we don't have a, we don't have an oven, which is a little problematic. <laughs> um, but took the took the in laws out to eat, which was fine. Um, except that you know none of them really actually like you know Western food or turkey or any of that sort of thing. So um, I probably I probably would have been better 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 said spending my money at a some sort of traditional Chinese restaurant, but no, it had to be turkey. So it, it was fine. We had a good time. Do, do they culturally, I mean, I think like people that aren't from America understand the notion of it, but do they culturally get Thanksgiving or? Oh yeah. No, I think um, at least here, I think the, the there's, there's a similar holiday, which is moon festival oh. or the mid autumn festival, which ah. uh, is my favorite holiday here. Uh, much like Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday in the U S Basically, the idea is you, it's it's at the um, the full moon, which is usually in September uh, or new moon, full moon, um, and you barbecue and drink and barbecue some more. It's it's sounds, it's as awesome as it sounds. Sounds terrible. <laughs> so you no, know, it's great. So you you go around any street, like because most people are living in in apartment buildings or whatever, or like you know like four stories or sometimes there's there's, there's high rises. So most people are just sitting out on the sidewalk or like in the street. Like mm. like barbecuing because there's people don't have porches or places where you traditionally barbecue, um, and there's a big always big sales or before like these kind of like you know crappy portable barbecue you know grill <laughs> setups that people use one time. Then um, it's probably terrible for the environment or something, but it's awesome. So you walk around, there's people just all over the place barbecuing and and uh, you know. It, so I I always characterize Thanksgiving as being the uh, the American version of that, and that the point is to for family to come together and eat themselves silly. So yeah, it's kind of so in Australia we don't have Thanksgiving. We it, basically everything is is tied into Christmas. But I've really come to appreciate it since I've been over here because it's very similar, except you just take all the gifts away, and so it really the focus really does become on the people around you and and all the food and the food coma and everything. I, I yeah, I love Thanksgiving. It's it's amazing. Well, uh, you're thankful for Thanksgiving, it sounds like. I'm thankful for Thanksgiving, indeed. So, but yeah, other than that, um, I actually ended up getting a little, a little, a little under the weather. I think it was, um, you know, I took a couple of days off on the on the daily update, and it's like my body like knew I had some time off, so it decided to take yeah. the time to uh, to. <laughs> It's funny how that happens, yeah. right? It's it's like you go on holiday and then you get sick. It's like it, the the stress or something leaves your body and then bang, down you go. So anyhow, but I'm I'm doing good now. It's good to be back. Um, I think uh, it's always this this time's always interesting. I think both being at work and just observing stuff because there's always the mad rush before the end of the year. Um, it's kind of like Thanksgiving. It's like you you take a deep breath and then it's just like go 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 go. Um, yep. Soon enough, the 2014 is going to be over, which is crazy. It is crazy. Tell me about it. I don't know where it went. So, uh, uh, well, when on it, it, it disappeared in endless digressions and monologues. Um, if this, <laughs> if this podcast, soliloquies. Yes, it's soliloquies. <laughs> uh, I don't think we'll have one today. We're recording a day early, actually, and the garbage truck doesn't come on on Wednesdays. So, oh, I'll I, I'll have to save it for next week. Yes, yeah, so we're just replacing it with an overly long, long introduction. Very good. Um, so we had a ton of feedback, uh, as you might expect, about the the Uber episode uh, two weeks ago, um, and I think uh, both both uh, on Twitter, on through the feedback form, and also there was a pretty long discussion about it on the 
on the forum for Shashekri members. Um, and I think that uh, I would characterize most of it as being, um, uh, I don't know what to say, displeased with me. I mean, not displeased with me, like personally, but displeased with the, um, and I, I anticipate this going in, so I don't feel yeah. bad by any means. But, it, and that's why I was very careful to say I'm, being devil's advocate devil's away advocate. here, but it, it, it's striking. I think the way that uh, for a lot of people, this really does seem very open and shut. And, uh, and obviously uh, there is some sort of moral code that, that is not just about breaking laws or bad reg- legislation. Um, and boy, I mean, what, what's there to talk about? Right. I mean, <sighs> I, I agree with this. And, do, do, you know, I, I kind of, I, I backed down a little bit when I read this Medium article afterwards about the journalist that that it happened to. Like, like I, I softened it a little bit. Uh, I mean, uh, more and more coverage came out after the event, right? And this isn't to say that Uber isn't this company to which it's doing amazing things right now and it needs, because it's, it's so much in the spotlight, it really needs does need to hold itself to a high standard. And I think it does. Um, and I think slipping from that has caused a lot of uh, negative coverage um, to come out subsequently. But there was a little bit on the other side, and there was one of the things was a um, one of the things that I read, and it's it's hard. It's a it's a very he said she said type thing. What happened at that dinner? But but there was a there was someone said that that put a little bit more context on the dinner, and it's like all right, it softened the remarks a little bit. Like maybe he was being rhetorical. Maybe this 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 Uber executive wasn't. Um, maybe the Uber executive like clearly wasn't being serious. Maybe he was doing it as a rhetorical thing. And there was there was an article that that. I don't know. And again, maybe two wrongs don't make a right, but it, it was a medium article and we can link to it in the show notes around talking about how the, 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 the journalist who did this was going on all these news shows talking about how threatened she felt for a family, but at the same time causing cognitive dissonance simply because she seemed to be enjoying the publicity so much. And I shared a similar reaction to the author that if I was genuinely concerned for my family, going on these um, going on these talkback shows or whatever, and and almost reveling in the publicity was something that I, I personally wouldn't be doing. So I don't know. I'm sure, like with a lot of these things, the truth lies somewhere in between. But they sure managed to. I mean, just the suggestion of it sure managed to. They allowed themselves to get cast in a negative light. Well, I mean, it's it's so like we're on such thin ice right now, right? Because you yeah. don't want to get into like victim blaming, um, which right. I think was totally. was the response to to that article, which we'll definitely put in the show notes. Um, and uh, and the other thing, just to be super clear, and I'll I'll take the other side is uh, a lot of the kind of pot articles that spun the story in a better way were very closely connected to Uber. Like one was a friend yep. of El Michael. Another one was some, I think the medium art author um, was known to have very high level contacts with Uber. And so it mm-hmm. definitely had the hallmarks of PR counterspin. Again, that doesn't make it wrong either. I mean, um, it, and so I think uh, the, the thing that did bother me and the, the journalist question was Sarah Lacey. What bothered me was it, it, it got picked up that she and her family were threatened when that was never, that was what she said. Like Ben Smith, who wrote about it at Buzzfeed um, 
simply said that they were talking about invest in uh, investigating. And I, I would bet, I have no idea that they were talking about investigating like Pando's funding and where, you know, mm. that, that angle, which I, which I think I kind of hinted at last time. Again, I, I think um, I, I, to me, the, I don't, I, this is something I don't want to legislate because I have no idea what's, what's going on there. I think that um, I do think there's a couple though of interesting, just broader points that are worth getting, getting into here. One is um, I, I wrote in the daily update that I thought Jacob should have been fired or Michael, sorry, um, should have been yeah. fired. Um, even if it was innocuous and it was said over a bottle of wine, he meant it jokingly and it was totally blown out of proportion, which I think is like Occam's razor. That probably makes more sense to be honest. Um, I agree. Even if that's the case though, uh, just you, you, you it, it, it's so damaging that you have to cauterize the wound. And yeah, I agree with that too. And I think the concern that I would have for Uber is, I think it, it, it's obvious in, 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 and came out in the stories where Michaels wouldn't be fired that uh, he seems being very important to Uber and he put together this Spotify deal and stuff like that. And my concern about that just as an, a, an observer of the company, this has nothing to do with, with the scandal per se. It's, it's very dangerous to start ascribing too much credit to to individual people when you're sitting on a rocket ship because uh, I have a feeling you or I could have put together that Spotify deal. And again, I, that actually, that sounded terrible. I should, I should figure out a better way to put that. But the point being is it's a lot easier to put together interesting partnerships when you're the fastest growing <laughs> and on the way to be one of the most important companies in the world. Um, totally. And, and I, I I would but say- it also speaks to the company's priorities too, right? Like it, it's it speaks to an environment where you can get away with doing you can get away with doing stuff like that if if your performance, like if you're hitting the bottom line, and and you hear about how decisions like that feed into corporate cultures in a really negative light. Like people get away with doing unethical things if they're rainmakers. Now I'm obviously I'm obviously stretching it out a little bit, like in terms of like I don't know whether it was really unethical, but it was certainly portrayed to be. And I don't know whether he really is a rainmaker, but from the outside, that that's the kind of decision that becomes pretty formative in terms of the way a company's culture is built. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think um, it, it's like uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to thread the narrowest of needles here. Um, one thing that's interesting about with the Ferguson uh, the Ferguson Ooh. non-indictment is if you if you step back and just kind of from a a game theory perspective look at the implications of the officer not being indicted again I'm not making you know, any judgment about the case in general just about the fact that that he wasn't indicted the, the it will definitely lead to more killings and the reason it will is because the calculus for a police officer is there is a 1% or 0.1% even chance that this person is armed is going to shoot me Mm. And I can shoot him and make sure I don't die or mm. I can approach the situation with a little more, I don't know, patience or, or carefulness and, and take the, you know, and, and presume that, that that's probably not the case. The problem is um, there's no incentive to do that. Like if you play out the math, the math says you should shoot every time because there's no downside to shooting. The downside is you get locked away for a couple months and and people on Twitter get mad at you, right? They're, they're, you're not going to be indicted. Whereas the up the upside is you definitely will not get killed. 
Yeah. And, right. and again, I, I don't, I, I'm skating on very thin ice. I know, but it's the same thing. I think it's the same thing from a game theory perspective. It's not the same thing from a societal perspective. It's the same thing from a game theory perspective with this, where it's clear now that you're not going to, it's what does it take to get fired? Same thing with the, the New York GM who did all this, the snooping on people. Like right. he got quote unquote discipline. We don't know what the discipline is. He's still in his job. So the discipline couldn't have been that great considering the reward for staying in his job is absolutely massive whenever Uber IPOs. Uh, it, it, so uh, I think both of those things are correct. There was a really, uh, a really very, uh, so after the Ferguson thing, and again, I recognize I'm on thin ice too. I remember there was a, there was a twi- there was a infographic um, passed around Twitter around how frequently uh, uh, how frequently a indictment like this gets returned when someone gets killed and like it doesn't end up going to trial and it was like th- a three like some tiny percentage but there was actually a very interesting article on the Nation um, giving the counterpoint which is not to look at this through the lens of like someone died how often how or, or th- there was a homicide how often is there an indictment as a result of that but looking at it through um looking at it through the lens of how often it happens to police and it ne- uh, never in, does. basically it never does i mean the title of the article is why it's impossible to indict a cop and there are there are a range of there are a range of um ex- the, uh, really interesting rationale based on um supreme court decisions um that basically explains why, but uh, there are some statistics in it that that are just um, that are just crazy. Uh, 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 we, again, we can link to it on the on the Uber thing with the New York GM. I, I think I think the one thing that's uh, that's um, being turned up as a result of all this attention that's being put on Uber right now that definitely warrants more investigation is around the privacy stuff and the data that they collect. Um, I, I, I saw, uh, I saw again something on Twitter about a an, uh, someone doing an interview or an intern or something, and and part of their challenge was they were given real live access to data and asked to do um, asked to do analysis on it, and just just for kicks, this person decided to to look up. Um, People they knew. It was in DC. I think they even talked about looking up prominent local politicians or prominent politicians or something. I think this is something like this is where definitely more attention needs to be cast because I mean we've talked about the privacy angle before, but th- these guys have access to incredible amounts of data where people are going who they're talking to they want to start in if they want to start investigating journalists if they're a journalist catching uber they can see where those people are going potentially who they're meeting with all kinds of crazy things it's the data stuff that really scares me about them the most in the aftermath of all of this yeah no uh i i think that's definitely i think that's definitely the case um but i mean i think the other the other kind of uh, positive spin you can put on this is is nearly every startup has gone through this, particularly when it comes around privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think uh, I don't know about your experiences, but I've been in I've been in circumstances where it's it's what what is accessible, especially in smaller companies, to a just a run of the mill employee um, is often is often a lot more than yeah. you would think, and and there's actually good reasons for that if you think about a startup um at a certain level like it's not it, it, it 
it's suboptimal yeah. to overly think about pri- privacy because the reality is the startup is probably going to go out of business. And, yeah. and any time spent on like setting up rules and this is you're talking about instituting bureaucracy and red tape basically. Mm. And I think that the, clearly Uber's past that point. But yep. if you look back at Facebook, if you look back at, at I mean, it's because Facebook is, is the clearest example, but right. there's been these, you know, I don't want to trivialize it by calling it a hiccup, but there's been these hiccups along the way where they're like, oh crap, we need to like get our, get our crap together. Um, and it's, it's, yeah. No. It's these teenage companies that grow up so quickly, right? That it seems to be the big problem. I mean, a typical startup, given the age of Uber, would probably not have this issue, but they are on such an accelerated trajectory. All of a sudden, um, what is really an adolescent company have all these eyes on them. But I mean, it just seems to be happening time and time again. I, I was having lunch with a friend today and she was talking about uh, one of her friends going to interview at Uber in a privacy job, I think it was too. And um, apparently the person that was doing the interviewing, uh, you know, pulled up the data on, oh, I see you use Uber a lot. It's going to be great having someone who's such a frequent user of the service <laughs> coming on board. And it, it's not just that the data is available. It, it's it's culturally, it, it seems to be the case that it's widely accessible. It's considered completely okay to just dip into this and take a look and see who's going where. Like you, we keep hearing these stories time and time again. And maybe all the stories is going to be what prompt the changes, but. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things I think probably when it rains, it pours too. Um, mm. You know, like, I mean, meaning like all the stories are true. They're just happening to all come out at the exact same time because it's it's in the news. Again, like I said, I, I'm not, I, I'm I'm trying my darndest here to stay kind of in the dispassionate middle. I mean, I, I wrote the mm. piece, I think, I don't think we've recorded since then, basically saying why I think this is a huge market and why, they, yeah. frankly, they deserve the scrutiny. Um, at the same time, I, I don't know. I just think that there's a, I mean, so something came out uh, just today before recording where basically Zenefits is banned in the state of Utah um, because they, the way Zenefits work is they offer basically a free HR portal so you can manage all your HR functions. And the way they make their money is they are an insurance broker. So if you need to add health insurance or you need to add all all the different kinds of insurance that you need to provide for your employees, they sell it through their site and they take a cut Mm -hmm. of the proceeds. And you know, it's great because you would get it for free. And if you add mm-hmm. theirs, it, it integrates fully. Like it's a really kind of clever, clever approach to the market that, that, uh, you know, I, from a, in isolation is something that is great because where are they mm-hmm. actually making their, where's the money actually coming from? It's coming from the people that are profiting from this relationship, right? I mean, the insurance companies are the ones that are paying for it. Uh, which I mean sounds sounds pretty good to me, better than the small business paying for it, um, right? But it's banned in Utah because basically it's it's really hard to compete against that if you're a traditional if you're a traditional insurance broker. This is so frustrating. It's like banning. It's like uh, it's like financial planners getting together and banning mint. You know, it's it's just it, it, uh, it, this is this is not one of the principles. That America is founded well, well, makes well, America great, right? We'll tell that to Utah. I mean, there's a there's a story that um that's been passed on Twitter in response to that uh, from 2012 in the New York Times. Like I I am I am not I, I'm literally going to quote from here. Basically, it, it starts with an anecdote of someone from Africa that moved there and realized mm-hmm. that uh, at some point there was a big thing in Utah to adopt African children, 
and but no one knew how to style their hair. So she was going to start a business helping Utah parents uh, style style their adopted children's hair. And she put an ad up and got an email saying, take the ad down or I'm going to report you. And uh, and she tried, even her legislator tried, like, and so the, eventually the state did crack down on her. Her legislator tried to get a change in the, the cosmetologist uh, union. Because basically you have to have a cosmetology license to braid hair in Utah for pay, which requires two years, $16,000 in tuition. Oh, my God. And, and there's a quote in here. Uh, where it said, where, where the cosmetologist says, um, the representative proposed a bill that would exempt hair braiding from the cosmetology licensing law, but she was no match for the cosmetologists who have started <laughs> grassroots campaigns in several states to fight the loosening of license rules. They turned out in full force in Utah. Quote, we encourage regulation, said Brad Masterson, a spokesman of the Professional Beauty Association. Why should everyone else who's doing hair have to conform to requirements and not her? Well, I mean, so no. that's... They're, no, no, no. Like at face value, that's a fair thing to say, right? No, it's like, not. It's not a fair thing to say. It's doing hair. Like, they're, they're, no, no, they're, no. But I agree. She shouldn't be exempt from the rules. I think the point is that it's just absurd that there are rules in the first place. But the, 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 the problem, though, is all the existing hairdressers like yeah no i'm with you i'm with so, you i'm with you it's so utter, the thing about regulation and this is um what was the, what was that the tweet i sent you today startup startup l jackson who is who is fantastic oh. on twitter um it, damn it utah it's like this that drives people into the arms of ann rand it's it's so true though i mean regulation is is fundamentally corrupting i mean you you basically have people who spend two years of their lives and $16,000 so they can cut freaking hair. Mm. And, and it's like Stockholm syndrome. They're now rallying in support of this law. It's like, but it's not, it's, Stock- like, it's completely rational from their point of view at this point, because like it's, it's, pr- this is, this is Uber versus taxis all over again. It's just that this poor individual uh, that, that was quoted in the New York times just doesn't happen to be venture capital backed and have a highly scalable business model. Like in the same way that the taxis actually want the regulation to stay in place that from a business's perspective, it's really, really helpful to have that regulation there because it protects their business model. It's the same with the the hairdressers like that regulation artificially uh, deflates supply of hairdressers therefore artificially raising the price now to take the legislation away well a these people the people that are that have gone through the process of getting the, of getting the license they've paid the money and they're out on the other side and they're beneficiaries of the fact that there are licenses they don't want the market to suddenly become a free market because they'll be flooded they'll be flooded with competition no, I, I I completely agree. But the reason why it is the reason why I, I I framed it as like as like Stockholm syndrome is is they yes from an individual perspective it's very rational um, mm-hmm. from a but and this is I think something that I found interesting in a lot of the feedback we've gotten from Uber. I mm-hmm. I, I actually I would love to go back and see kind of the the. Uh, the country or the 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 culture that oh, this feedback's coming from because it's a very it, it's very focused on the individual and it's very dismissive of the collective and of the and of what the cost that this 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 imposes on on others and it, I mean it's interesting we we almost exclusively debate things from an individual perspective like we're 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 
upset at this because it's very frustrating that this that Justina Clayton um, from Sierra Leone can't start a small business in Utah. Um, and same thing with Zenefits in in, in in Utah. But we're we're upset because we're, this person is being this person is being injured, and it's not fair that they can't that they can't start a business. And at the same time, I say, well, but I can I can sympathize with the people because they've already gone through it, and why did they have to expend all that money and pay all that that cost? Like it's not fair. Um, meanwhile, what we're actually not spending nearly as much time talking about is is what what's this impact on on the collective? What about the people who have daughters who adopted daughters from Af- Africa? Like they're they're being oh. hurt by this. What about the what about the city that uh, Justina Clayton lives in, um, Centerville, Utah? Like it's being hurt because. Uh, Miss Clayton is making less money. She's not spending it in the economy. She's not. She's not going and buying things and, and things on those lines. Like there's a community aspect to this that is, I think, not talked about enough, but is just as damaging, just as problematic. And by the way, this is an area where Uber, I think, actually comes out looking uh, pretty good. Yeah, I totally agree. Look, I, I so. There, there are many ways in on this problem and looking at it from the perspective of um, the incumbents protecting um, protecting the uh, protecting their monopoly or oligopoly or whatever you want to call it protecting their industry is certainly one way of looking at it the, the other way of looking at this though is a lot of the the decisions around um, or, or the politicians making the decision that such licensing was valuable was made in a in an era where the the way in which society operated was fundamentally different. Like you couldn't log on to Yelp and get the reviews of someone. You couldn't check. You couldn't see the the rating of an Uber a, t- a taxi driver before they pulled up. So rather than people um, being incentivized to deliver a great service and get a great rating and therefore attract more business, um, there were people out there doing really bad things because there were no ramifications. And so someone, someone, a legislator came along and said, you know, this person did it like didn't have um, a, a safe a sanitary hair equipment, and someone got sick and therefore we're gonna we're gonna regulate it but the thing is the world has fundamentally changed like if someone if some like you log on to yelp you see the rating for business like i i don't care i couldn't care less if my hairdresser is licensed or not i'm gonna log on to yelp and i am gonna see what their rank similarly like i don't care whether you need a highly skilled hairdresser Right. I, <laughs> touche, Ben, touche. It's the same with the, the driver. Like, I don't care that an Uber driver, whether they've got a medallion or not, like the, the, the minimum the minimum implied by the licensing doesn't mean anything to me anymore because the way that technology is being deployed is the rating from the from from the crowd is actually like a much better way of judging whether this is someone's car that I want to get into or not. And this regulation is like a hangover, but it's being held in place by these people who are in some instances, like the hairdressers benefiting from it. So I I think it's interesting. Um, I think it's the thing about Uber that I think makes it, makes it challenging is uh, you kind of got to like, there's something about getting in a car that, like th- there is a much more legitimate sort of like safety concern there as opposed to like cutting hair um, where, you know, what's, <laughs> what's the worst that could happen? Uh, 
he said with a devilish grin on his face. Um, yeah, well, you've already made the point around <laughs> me needing a very skilled hairdresser. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it's, you got a, a moppy top, I think is the word. <laughs> Moving on. Um, so, uh, whereas getting in, a, like I had a friend who, who basically, he's like, I, I did the calculation. Like he's like, I was, he was considering giving up, giving up the car completely because he's looking for a new car and he lives in the Valley. Mm. And he's like, the main reason I didn't was I don't, I don't want my, like, I, I, I'm concerned about my wife writing it, you know, late at night. And he linked, linked me an article from the daily beast, I think about, you know, a horror story of someone, someone in an Uber car. Um, oh my God. No, really? Like that's his ration. That's like, I'm not going to the beach because sharks, there are sharks at the beach. Like you're more likely to die in a car accident on the way to the beach than you are to like get bitten by a shark. And it's the same thing with Uber. Like there are too many pieces of information left behind for any rational person to do this. She's, I, I mean, I, I understand the the desire to protect your family, but it's more likely that someone's going to do something horrible to her as she walks to a car than it's likely to be the case that it happens in an Uber. Yeah, you know, I I mean, it that's true, but I think it, it's like, why do people get so much more worked up when an airplane crashes when like, exponentially more people die in car crashes every year it, like because it's such a much uh, it's a much more rare event it's also the loss of control i guess as well. right no exactly and w- w- what's interesting is um it, just to draw draw another analogy that i probably shouldn't um that seems to be a theme for this podcast it's like people losing their minds over uh comments made over wine about possibly investigating a journalist which by the way uh, is not against the law. And by the way, lots of people have raised ethical questions about that journalist in the publication. And which, by the way, that journalist called the company and its executives assholes. Like, as compared to uh, people not really getting upset about, for example, or not really making nearly as big a deal about the fact that, say, uh, Uber's been fantastic for black people because it's, it's a, an app is colorblind. And whereas taxis, yeah. it's serially uh, ignore ignore black people and drive right past them, like and, and mm. that happens way more often than uh, comments are made about a journalist over wine that where nothing actually comes of it and nothing probably ever was going to. Again, I, I just it, it's just interesting what no, no, what no. becomes a big deal and what doesn't. I I concur. I, I you know you're actually reminding me of something else that I read. It was by I'll have to dig it up and again put it in the show notes. It was by a journalist whose job it was to like do a media watch type column, and it was reacting to this. And he's like, you know what? I look into P. I look into journalists and what they're doing all the time. Just because they're a journalist, it doesn't mean that they're above. They're above like someone looking into them. And you know what? It's actually probably a good thing that people watch the journalists. Now, I think I, I think it was the the way the context of those remarks about Uber were delivered, it kind of made it feel like like that they were threatening the journalist as opposed to like going and investigating. And you know what? When I read that guy, a journalist saying, you know what, I look into journalists all the time and I think it's good that there are more eyes on journalists. It's like I, you know, I like he he flicked my perspective a little. Bit. Well, it's like we, nevertheless we talked about this with the native advertising stuff, right? I, to me, one of the mm. reasons why um, it, it's it's okay that we're in a a kind of let's say more ethically challenging area is because I believe there's so much more scrutiny and oversight of journalists themselves 
in the current environment. Like that's that's a positive in my mind. Um, and and I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, it, I I think there's no question. A lot of the outrage here was um, journalists are the most active on Twitter. You know, that's their job. They're out there, mm. and nothing unites journalists like journalists being threatened. And uh, and I don't know. It just again, we're 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 gonna get a lot of angry emails about this because people say we're defending the cannot be defended Uber evil. Or Uber Evil Uber. Um, that might be the title. Uh, but uh, I, I, let's go back to the point you were making, though. You were talking about your friend making the decision around whether to replace that car or not. Oh, I, I mean, I'm just saying, like, yeah, it may not be by the numbers rational, but things like crime and safety, like that's what get law. That's what gets laws passed. Um, and and it. it I, that's why I like the hairdresser example because it's so it, it's such a better ex, it, it's great for talking about the problems with regulation because mm. there's nothing at stake. Whereas, like I can understand people making the safety argument, even though in the if you look at it from an absolute perspective, it it also doesn't really. But, add but up. here's the thing, right? Like the the safety perspective from like someone driving a car should be established as to whether the state gives someone a license to drive a vehicle, like. Whether you drive a uh, whether you drive a vehicle occasionally or whether you drive it commercially, there shouldn't. I mean, sure, if you're driving like a semi trailer or something like that, you you obviously need to apply a higher standard. But the standard for for what the standard someone needs to reach for when they get behind the wheel of any vehicle should be exactly the same. The idea, that, I mean, I think the. I, I'm I'm deeply suspicious of the idea that getting in in a in a taxi is somehow safer than getting in an Uber. In fact, oh, in my I, it's less it's less safe because it's not tracked. Right, I, I've been in, I've been in taxis before. I remember one taxi ride that it was possibly this one of the scariest car rides of my life, at least in the developed world, where where I think the guy might have had a mild form of epilepsy and he kept having seizures as he was driving along. And I was absolutely terrified. I, I don't think that person would last very long on Uber, but... I mean, I took the num- the guy's number down and tried to report him to the taxi authorities and ended up in some incredibly Byzantine voicemail system and never got through to anybody. I have no idea what happened. Like I tried to do something because I think someone was going to die as a result of getting in that taxi. I was grateful it wasn't me. On on Uber, that like that wouldn't be allowed to happen very long. And that's what's uh, that's what's just so frustrating about these regulations is the world has changed, but the regulation like carries on, you know? Yeah. Well, one other point I wanted to make is I got this feedback quite a bit. Um, uh, I think particularly on Twitter, but basically people get up very, and there seems to be a, a European perspective. Um, if my in, in, interlocutors, oh, okay. is that how you say it? Is, is yeah. an indication. Here we go. Um, let's, and let's get some hate mail from you. Yeah. Uh, bring, bring, it, bring it on Europe. Um, and that is that, uh, like it's unfair. Like Uber is unfair. It, it's getting back to like the, the, the cosmetologist perspective. It's unfair. The reason, the only reason they succeed is because they don't have to deal with all this crap that we do and they don't have to get all this regulation, all this sort of stuff. And I understand the perspective. I think it's wrong on a, on a few points though. Point one, I don't think Uber succeeds just because it's, it's, it has a lower cost basis and it's cheaper. Um, like just the experience of using an Uber, particularly payments and the way you just get in and get out is it's awesome. 
uh, not having to fumble around with money and especially when you're in a foreign country is is amazing. Um, but two, uh, it, it by saying that Uber is unfairly advantaged by ignoring the law is to completely ignore that Uber is fundamentally disadvantaged by ignoring the law. Like there are tremendous costs that Uber incurs by breaking the law and mm-hmm. by going up against the authorities and by in some cities like you know, Uber pays fines all the time for their drivers in mm. other places. Like they have to like just, they're completely banned outright. Like you can't say that Uber has an advantage by breaking the law without also acknowledging they're paying a cost in breaking the law. Now the cost isn't like they're banned from business. Like they're obviously they're, they're, they're doing it anyway, but it's not like it's a ro- It's not like it's a walk in the park. You know, I think there's a broader point to to be made here just on the theme of like getting hate mail from somewhere that that the perspective that is shared from a culture when something like this happens, uh, to my mind, is very enlightening as as to how the like how the culture thinks. And and I'm going to go even further, like whether the culture is one of that's likely to grow or whether it's one that's more likely to be stagnant. Like when something comes along and people take the perspective of protecting the incumbent and, and, you know, like they're, they're just winning because like they don't have these things as opposed to revisiting the fundamental assumptions. You know what? Like, let's think about this sensibly. Is this, is this something that if we were to start again right now, we'd rather have this or we'd rather have the old way. And I think I think a lot of people would say we'd rather have this than the old way, particularly in the case of Uber versus taxis. Like a whole lot has changed around technology and so on, where it just makes sense. People love it, and I think there is a. I'm going to broadly. I'm going to broadly generalize and yeah, hate mail far away. I'll, I'll apologize in advance, but I feel like that attitude is more prevalent in Europe and it's less prevalent in the States. And I think it's part of the reason why so many disrupt, you take a look at all the disruptive innovations they have always taken root in the States and it's, they've been massive drivers of America's growth. And what scares me so much about what's, what feels like has started to happen over the past decade is that the uh, is that the mindset is starting to shift towards one that that actually America starts to think about it uh, is favors the incumbents more than it favors the disruptors. Now, no, I think I I, I think that's I would actually take it a, a step a step further and um and this one of the reasons um well I I would me and my my wife and I went to Paris uh this past summer and. Mm. Uh, it was actually my first time uh, going to Paris, uh, and the first day we were we were sitting at, at a brassiere getting getting dinner, and you know looking out at just on some random street, and the buildings are amazing, and they're and they're gorgeous, mm. and it's you know I mean Paris is Paris, and yeah. uh, and I, I was reminded of something that uh, um, our our mutual friend Horace Deju told me. Um, actually, we, we were in London. Uh, uh, and we, we, we randomly were both in the same time we got dinner and he, he remarked that, uh, country, the architecture of a country ends up frozen at the time of the country's dominance. So you, you go to, you go to London and everything is Victorian era era architecture and you go to Paris and everything is like Napoleonic era and you go to New York city and it's like roaring twenties. 
and uh, and he's talking about you go to Taipei, and it's like it's kind of like the late '90s, and it's, it's true it, 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 in a lot of the ways, like when the go-go area of the PC, especially. Um, and and I think one of the things that I love about living living here is, um, yeah, I live in a city where I, I moved to this when I came here 11 years ago. There were two skyscrapers in in the city that I'm in. I, I'm, I'm right across the river from Taipei, and uh, now there are 30. 35 wow. and, and like, yes, it's disruptive. There's always construction and things like that. But to me, I, I love it. I, I love the, I feel like there's, there's still a sense of, of there being newness and there being, you know, like we're creating stuff and, and not, not thinking about the old. And, and yes, there's, there's something lost there. You lose, you lose that connection. I think, I think Taipei in particular is such a great place because there is a much stronger connection to the past. I mean, next to those massive skyscraper, there'll be a little temple that's been there for like 150 mm, years. Um, I love that. I love that. Um, but, but to me, that that that's that's the feeling you get in Asia. This is why everyone says you got to travel to Asia at least once, right? Because there's there's mm. there's such a feeling of 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 yeah, it's not perfect. Um, there's ugly stuff around. Like you still see poor people and you still see a lot of stuff, especially in some of the West developed countries than, than Taipei, you go to like, you know, Indonesia or Malaysia, or something like that. it's, you see massive poverty, but at the same time, you, mm. there's a sense of things are, are going in the right direction. Things are, things yeah. are improving and it's so empowering. and so invigorating to be there. And I, I, I tend to feel the same a lot when I go back to the U S like it's, it's things are settling in. Like it, it, when I go back to the U S yeah. in a hundred years, I have a feeling our towns and neighborhoods are going to look kind of like they do right now. And, um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I think that, that, that point is the case and you're right about Europe. And I think you're right about the U S particularly if you look at it from the perspective of, of where I'm at now. It's just, it's, I mean, on, on one hand, it's, it's kind of sad because I, part of the reason I, and and it's it's unevenly distributed, right? Like I feel like places like San Francisco uh, are, are examples where that's not the case. But there's also there's also the fact that there's a federal government and things kind of gradiate towards the mean. And so much cool stuff has come out of this country over the past half century. And a part of that is the reason why I'm here. And I mean, on one hand, it. it the the argument is made to me that I mean I'll, I'll I'll explain it in a different context. I I often get worried about my alma mater, Harvard Business School, to which I am I am very fond of of HBS and the experience I had there. I made some amazing friends. I learned so much. I I feel like I changed and developed as a person tremendously because of my experience there. And I worry about it being disrupted. And someone, a, a fellow student, I, I was thinking about how HBS could defend against this. And a fellow student said to me, you know what, it, it might happen. And guess what? If it does, too bad. Like something else is going to spring up and take its place. And on one hand, I'm naturally attached to it because uh, I'm naturally attached to it because like I'm so fond of it and I had a great experience there. But on the other hand, the person who said that to me is probably right. Like something else is going to come along and it may not be exactly the same and it may not, it may not do exactly the same things, but it's probably going to have a broader reach. It's, and, and the flame will continue just in a different form. And I, I think like being within America, I, I feel like people don't pay enough heed to exactly this problem. Like 
They, they assume that if they protect incumbents and they stifle disruptive innovators, that, well, the case is that if, if it, you know, we protect the incumbents and no disruption happens here, then no disruption is going to happen at all. And I've, I feel like what people are forgetting is like, well, if this place isn't the place where disruption takes root, somewhere else is going to figure out how to do it. And, and America is going to start to look a little bit more like Europe. Yeah. Um, uh, it would, it, it, it's interesting, though. I mean, because it's it's way more complicated than it seems than just like innovation is good and, and stagnation is bad. Like in, mm. in Taiwan for the, over the last year, there's been several food scandals um, with uh, like industrial oil being in, in yeah, bad, bad stuff. And, uh, and Taiwan is, is already much more kind of modern and, and more tightly regulated and safer, frankly, than the vast majority of Asia. Um, particularly, you know, relative to China. Um, mm. But at the same time, like, it's not, it's not like, like one of the, one of the things, one of the amazing things about, about living here is I can walk out the door right now and there's like 15 places to eat and they're all really good and they're all really cheap and they're all really not clean probably if you look into it <laughs> and that's okay with me. Like I'm, I'm brave. I, I, I risk it, but like you, there, there's a cost there, right? I mean, you know, people, this is yeah, of course. Like, but this is the thing. It's like you, you you go from like this wild west mentality to things slowly mature to like. It, but it feels you get the like luxury. Some- you get the luxury of making sure your food is safe. Safe. You don't realize right. that in the in that luxury comes stagnation. Right, and and the extent to which I, I don't feel like anyone's actually built a good system to go back and revisit. And it's interesting to think about how you would build a political and economic system such that it becomes it it becomes the case that it's it's natural for assumptions like like the regulation around hairdressers to come back and be revisited when it no longer makes sense because there are the 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 way at least it's structured in America is that you start you get these groups these small groups that are going to have an there's going to be an outsized impact if that regulation is taken away and they they like oh we don't want the regulation to go we benefit from it so we're going to lobby like crazy and we're going to give money to people who will support it and we're going to like target people who don't and and it, it seems to be increasingly the case that that behavior is being effective in the states and it's I, I don't know how to, I mean, one, we've talked about Lessig, that's one way of solving it, but I, I don't want to recover that old ground. Well, it, it, it's not, it's not just the, the, the money in politics thing though. It's it, people. Yeah, it, you're right. It, it's so, it's very difficult. And this is something the point I made again and again, it talks about like things like the internet and business on the internet. It's so hard for people to envision what, what is, what is just on the edge of possible, but not yet done. Whereas mm-hmm. it's, it's very easy to see what, what has been lost or what is going to be lost because it's tangible and, and you can feel it slipping away. Like j- journalists can feel, feel their profession mm-hmm. as it was slipping away. It's very tangible. Um, people are being laid off. The number of journalists employed has been cut like well over half in the last 10, 15 years or something like that. Uh, it w- it's very difficult to see that um, there is a new sort of future out there where that's much more niche based and individual based as I believe there is. Um, 
because it's it, no one's there's not many people actually doing it. The ones that are doing it seem ah, well, that's fine for that's fine for Ben. Um, and I think that's the case with, with, with all this sort of stuff. And I think your points, you, your point that said, your point, your the only I was trying to think of countries that countries that have gone through this cycle. And honestly, the only one I could think of was China, uh, where China used to be the dominant economy in the world, uh, was head of incredible bureaucracy, like just, mm. just astounding levels of bureaucracy, but some of which kind of still, still persists in a lot of ways. Um, <laughs> like, I, I mean, I have a, I have an ID number, there's a household registration system. There's all this sort of stuff that, that is remnants of that, that um, basically passed down through centuries. Uh, and the country got ossified and it got old and it, and it fell apart and it got overtaken. And, and now just now, uh, over the last couple of decades, it's coming back and coming back in a big way. And it's coming back in a very wild West sort of mentality where yes, the government, mm. like yes, the government has like tons of control in some specific areas, but in lots of areas, it's totally crazy. And you get all this pollution and you get food safety issues and you get all this bad stuff that goes with people living on the edge, but you get, you get this incredible growth and incredible dynamism, dynamism. Um, yeah. And but it, you think that it, it took hundreds of years. That's kind of yeah. No, no, you're right. Like it's it's. I, I just I don't think this debate is being held widely enough within the U.S. as to what's at risk because of the the this this like the kind of the 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 observation that we've made over the past hour or however it's long it's been. It's like. It, it seems petty when you're talking about, ah, hairdressers, who cares? But it, that represents a chronic problem. And the fight that Uber's, like, like when a startup has to go through the amount of lobbying and, and the, um, the, like the odds are against it to such an extent. And if the environment to, uh, in which these types of innovations take root, like if it becomes too much more toxic, well, the next time someone decides they want to start an Uber, it's going to be in China. It's going to be somewhere else. And it's not going to be the U.S. that benefits from that. It's going to be some other country. Well, the, the, other, the, the other point, though, and kind of the counter to this is, um, like, I'm, I'm a stated uh, supporter of, like, universal health insurance. Um, I believe that it's the most economically, it's the economically superior way to deliver a socialized good. And I think it would be good for entrepreneurship and innovation because people go out yeah. and you look, and, totally. but then you look at Europe and like, well, they have, they have universal healthcare. They have great welfare systems in general. Um, and it, and this is a tension that I have with myself. It's like, how do you, is it even possible to take the good parts like universal healthcare yeah. uh, and divorce it from the bad parts, which is kind of stagnation and regulatory capture? And, and, and that's why, like I, I, despite it all, uh, I can empathize and sympathize with, with the other side because there are the, at some level, Mm. Mm. hairdressers being regulated in Utah is tied to our healthcare system in, 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 in the, but, but yeah, no, I agree, but it's, um, I, I think they are. So there's a correl there's a correlation between the the area that has the 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 the, the um, 
strangling bureaucracy that also happens to have the social safety net, the universal health care. And there's a correlation between the area that has the lack of regulation, but also no health care. Now, uh, like, is there a causal relationship between those two? And I don't think there is. And and I think if a policymaker came along and said, you know what, like the way we should be thinking about the way we should be thinking about it, like one lens, I'm not going to say it's the only lens, but one lens of how we should be thinking about how we do our jobs is what do we need to do to promote entrepreneurship? And when you look at it through those types, when when you look at it through that lens, some regulation and some support makes sense and some some does not. And one of the things that makes sense is universal healthcare. And, and Travis Klacknick, I, I can never pronounce his surname, but the, the, the CEO of Uber has come on, on record and said, actually, one of the best things that's happened for us is the fact that there's universal healthcare because people don't feel terrified to lose, to leave their jobs and to come and work at Uber. And it's absolutely right. Like the nature of work is changing such that it's not always going to be lifetime job it's more likely that people are going to go off and do these niche things do what you're doing and if there's if they know they're not going to lose their health care to do it they're much more likely to go uh, they're much more likely to go and and give it a shot like they're not going to be terrified to leave their big corporate job because if something happens to them or one of their kids or something they're not going to be able to provide for them but, but when you take that lens it's also the case that regulation protecting incumbents doesn't make sense so yeah but, but so the, I, the, 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 it's such it's so cute and you tied it and you could tie it in a nice bow um the problem thank you, you know, it's it's my uh, do I have your vote? The, the, well, the, I mean, I think it's in your hair. Uh, the, <laughs> the the nice. the problem is that's not how it actually works. Like that sounds great on a podcast, but there is oh, where is the incentive for government to act in a way that benefits entrepreneurship? It's not it's not there. The the incentive drives from bureaucrats wanting to keep their jobs. Uh, Industries in place wanting to make it hard for new entrants. By the way, another word for entrepreneur is new entrant. Like just all yeah, yeah. the incentives are all are all are all wrong here. And and this is and this is why. Like again, like I, I'm I, I started out when I was young being being much more on the right and anti regulation and things like that. And as I've gotten older and and get things with a new perspective, I think I have. Um, you know, I, I've moved the opposite direction. I think we already made the joke, but I, I've done I've done the opposite of Winston Churchill, right? Where if you're yeah, right, if you're a conservative, and or if you're conservative and you're young, I mean, you have what is it? If you're if you're not a conservative and you're young, you have no you have no. I can't remember what it is. Compassion. If you're not liberal when you're young, and, you have no heart. If you're not you're not a conservative when you're old, yeah. you have no mind. Have no um, brain. Yeah. But at the same time, like I write about incentives a lot, and like how they're they're far more insidious and powerful than you think, and that's why incumbent companies are at a disadvantage relative to startups because incentives matters so greatly. And no, no, if no, I no, believe I that. I totally agree. I totally agree. Look, I, I let me, let me paint it to you a different way that, that the, there was this, um, there was this history class that I took while I was at HBS and it was fantastic. And the basic thesis of the professor was that, um, if you if you look at a society, how likely it is to succeed um, is a direct function of the fact of the type of entrepreneurship that it promotes. And um, societies where entrepreneurship is positively fostered, um, 
they they end up succeeding in the long run. But when when entrepreneurial when uh, entrepreneurial spirit is funneled into things that are counterproductive to society, then they're much less likely to, 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 to end up succeeding. And so you end up with places like Somalia. But he, he also made the case that there are places in America now and, and populations within America where entrepreneurial spirit, like if you've got an entrepreneurial nature, it's actually it's um, the, the path of least resistance for you is to become a drug dealer or something where it's clearly not beneficial to society. I think there's an equivalent for that um, around the incentives for uh, politicians. Like if the way a politician thinks is like, if, if the difference, the difference in be- behavior between the behaviors required to get reelected and the behaviors re- behavior that would be best for society, if that gap gets too big, then you have a serious problem. And I think the point I would make is that in the US, that gap is getting wider and wider right now. No, no, that, that, that's, a, that's a good analogy. I like it. Um, well, that was kind of depressing. It was a little, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, I, I think that, you know, this is the, this is the, I think this goes back to our very first podcast. Like for all its warts and all its problems, this remains the, the, the great thing about kind of tech, tech in general is, and I know it makes so many people want to pull their hair out of the people, you know, um, Oh, glorifying failure and and people running roughshod and and not being careful about privacy and all sort of stuff. But it, it's it's the that that echo of the wild west mentality that still exists. Like you you yeah. Everyone wants to. Everyone wants to. <laughs> everyone either wants to interpret everything as being black and white, or they want mm. to draw like perfect divisions where divisions can't be drawn. Right? Like there's there's so much nuance with with everything and. In some cases, like, and this is certainly one of them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I like it. Maybe it hasn't been the most uplifting conversation, but I, 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 drawing out some of this stuff around regulation and society, like, this is why this is what this is all about. I love talking about this stuff, and I feel like I have a better understanding of it now than when we began. Cool. Well, hopefully, our listeners feel the same and aren't aren't completely burnt out on, on Uber. Um, I'm gonna write about uh uh. I, 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 that joke didn't materialize. Um, I'm going to write about it. No bad joke next week. Um, yeah. What well, <laughs> you should leave that in. You should not edit that out. I'm going to write about, uh, <laughs> that was pretty funny. No, I, I've, I've, I think I've had enough about, uh, Apple and like the promise of the internet. Although I, I did, um, uh, I had a fun daily update with talking to the creator of the donut selfie the other day. Yeah, that was, that was lots of fun. Very offbeat, but like a really cool change of pace. Um, it was cool. Cool. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we will, uh, I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, mate. Take it easy.